Welcome to Energy Transitions, a podcast brought to you by Endless Europe and Friends. In this series, we will spotlight the people and projects driving change and innovation in Europe's energy sector. You can download this and all other episodes on enlit-europe.com slash podcasts. Now, let's start today's conversation. I'd like to welcome you to the Enlit podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about what are the renewable trends for 2021. Uh, I'm joined by three experts, editors whose websites, uh, social media have hundreds of thousands of followers. Um, we have uh, Jen Runyon, who's content director at Clarion Energy. Uh, she's managing content for Renewable Energy World, Power Grid, uh, Electric Light and Power, and she's also chair of the Distributech Advisory Board. Welcome, Jen. We have Lee Collins, who's managing editor of Recharge Magazine, uh, and he's also uh, a member of the Inlit Impact Circle. Um, and last but not least, we have Kelvin Ross, who's editor-in-chief of Power Engineering International, and he's head of content strategy for Inlit Europe. Now, welcome, everyone. I'm very much looking forward to this. Um, Kelvin, if, if I could start with you, um, obviously it's a very broad, um, broad topic, renewables, but what do you see as, as the, the key uh, developments in, uh, in renewables for 2021? Yeah, hi Paddy, thanks for having me today. Um, I, think the, I think the key developments for 2021 are going to be uh, and continue to be the two, the two big players in the, in the renewables market, which is wind and solar. Um, and I think in terms of wind, um, that's going to be offshore, um, going further offshore, bigger offshore, deeper, um, and that in, in a very large part is driven by the increasing involvement of the oil and gas majors in the offshore wind, uh, because it's a, uh, you know, the technology of putting stuff far out and anchoring it deep to sea is something they've been doing for decades. So it's just a, a shift in technology to make, to change that from being a rig to a turbine. Um, and uh, I, I think also, you know, the, the floating offshore wind, which has come a long way in the last 12 months, is going to continue to go um, that bit further in every sense, um, further out to sea. Um, and the technology is going to come on more um, in, uh, in this year. Great. Okay, and, and Lee, moving on to you, obviously, um, again, you're UK-based, you have a lot of experience uh, with uh, with Recharge and uh, the large uh, oil and gas majors. What, what's your take on this? Yeah, so, um, as you know, uh, 2020 was quite a big year in terms of the oil company's energy transition. Um, you had the likes of BP, Shell, Total, getting, uh, getting fully into the renewable sector other clean energy sectors like green hydrogen. Um, I think that will increase this year, certainly in, in Europe. Um, elsewhere in the world, the Asian um, oil companies uh, are just dabbling in renewables. Um, they, they're not making the same kind of commitments. And in America, you have the likes of Chevron, ConocoPhillips and ExxonMobil, which really, um, don't really seem very interested in the energy transition. They are they're full steam ahead on oil and gas. Um, I think they're going to come under increasing pressure this year. Particularly, they're already under pressure from their shareholders. But I think um, with uh, the Joe Biden's administration, they'll be under further pressure to to uh, to commit more to the energy transition. So I think that's we'll see that in 2021. Um, in terms of uh, offshore wind and solar, I think 
one of the big things that will happen, well, that we'll see increase this year is that gigawatt scale projects will kind of become the norm. Um, you know, we've only got, we've got the Dogger Bank projects, which are gigawatt scale at the moment, but um, there's some really big projects in the pipeline. I think, um, like, there's this North H2 project, which is for 10 gigawatts offshore wind with green hydrogen. And, um, and just the talk generally seems to be about gigawatt scale, which is, you need that scale to, to meet the, the net zero targets. So I think that's why um, people are moving in that direction. And also, I think you're going to see gigawatt scale projects in solar as well, increasingly in uh, places like Australia and Saudi Arabia, where they have um, big deserts and lots of space for solar panels. Um, because you, you're not going to you're not going to hit the net zero targets by just you know doing 10, 10 megawatts here and ten megawatts there. You need to really increase the the, the size and scale of of of, of what we're doing. Yeah. No, yeah. No, I mean I I would agree, and I I think um, I'm just thrilled with the progress of offshore wind in the U.S. I think here in the U.S. I think it's um you know it's been slow. We still only have one actual project that's generating electricity at the moment but we have i think it's around 20 in planning in the pipeline uh, we're just reporting today that uh the 1.1 off ocean wind project off new jersey it's just announced its turbine selection um they're going to be using the 12 megawatt that can go up to 13 megawatt ge turbine which is a huge huge piece of machinery i mean they're reporting one spin of that turbine is enough to power one u.s household for one day which is pretty amazing one spin around um so yeah i mean i'm watching a lot of that in the u.s the other thing that i'm watching a lot of is uh distributed solar so microgrids especially in places like california where we've had the public safety power shutoffs and um, you know, many companies can't can't afford to have their power shut off. Uh, they've got critical facilities, and they're just begging for microgrids. They really, you know, we've got wineries out there that are installing microgrids. We've got um, lots and lots of uh, talk around it. We'll see where the projects end up happening, but uh, it certainly does seem like I think we'll see more microgrid development in California at least um, for starting for this year. Yes, that's that's very interesting. If we if we look at uh, solar, Kelvin, um, obviously solar is a great way to really engage with consumers. Uh, rooftop solar and um, and and consumers really taking responsibility for their uh, for their power. Um, how, how do you how do you see the development of um, of rooftop solar and solar in general, more specifically? Uh, I th I think you're right. Solar remains um, the the most uh, the easiest way for uh, a consumer a household to, to engage with um with renewable energy and and their own energy you know just get a sense of what they use when they use it and yeah, have have some sense of worth of uh, of the worth of of energy of electricity so i think rooftop um uh, consumer household solar will will carry on in that sense the real um, the real boom area or that i think is is going to continue to to take off this year is in uh, rooftop solar for commercial and industrial um that we saw a lot of that in uh 2020 and i think that's going to carry on there is some um, you know there's a huge the, the business case speaks for itself now for, for a lot of these companies and so those of them who who want to go down that route of actually you know 
putting the panels on their own structures rather than buying the green energy in, which is the other option for them. Um, that's, um, that's what we'll do with solar. Um, so I think we'll see a lot of that. And Lee, what, what's, your, what's your take on that? Um, well, I think that, um, yeah, I think rooftop solar will kind of continue as, it, as it's going on. I think um, what a lot of companies are going to find is that it may be easier to uh, just buy renewable energy from the local supplier or, um, or failing that, uh, set up a, a PPA. So if someone else produces the power and you buy it directly. Um, we're seeing that uh, increasingly in America, particularly. Um, the likes of Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon, Google, you know, they've all got these um, these PPAs in place so they, they can buy renewable energy um, cheaper than the market price for the next 10, 15 years. Also, there's also a, a, a new range of insurance products products that they're um, they're buying, which kind of uh, takes away any risk of that prices may may go up or down. Um, so they know how they know exactly how much the energy is going to cost them for the next 10 or 15 years, um, and that's very attractive to them. Um, yeah. Yeah, they also have, um, you know, I've seen some interesting insurance products where they are guaranteeing the output as well, which is pretty fascinating. Um, mm. they, they feel they've got enough um, industry knowledge to be able to say, yeah, your range is, you're not going to go, you know, this much off your projected um, generation, which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I mean the PPA scene here in the U.S. is is kind of gangbusters. I mean, there's you now we've got we've got the big players, you know, as Lee mentioned, we've got the Amazons and the Googles and the Facebooks and the, you know, they're all, they're the big players are certainly signing megawatts, multi, multi megawatts, up to gigawatts at some point of renewable PPAs. But then you've also got, you know, things like, uh, like Boston Hospital, Boston General Hospital teaming up with a, another, uh, a couple small entities just to get their own PPA. So they're finding these, you know, smaller companies can take part in these contracts and still bring green energy or be purchasing green energy. So they're saying to their clients and their customers, we're green too, our supply chain, we're greening up our supply chain. Um, yeah, it's, it's a big, big, big stuff here. And, and I've noticed less PPA activity in Europe. Um, I'm not sure why that is. Um, yeah, I think that's because, um, a lot of the the, the main uh, or the biggest power consumers in the world are, are these US companies that I've mentioned um, and in the US it, it's it's not so easy to, uh, to to buy large amounts of renewable energy um, from from your local supplier I think it's easier in Europe for instance in the UK we have a company called Octopus Energy which um, it's very popular it's 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 one of the cheapest suppliers and it's 100% renewable energy so that's obviously very attractive and I think also um, there are there are PPAs in corporate PPAs in Europe but I think that they're, they're less because it is easy to buy your it is easy for a company to buy renewable energy from your local supplier um, part of that is because it's more of a top-down approach in in Europe in that um, it's governments that are doing um, auctions for large projects large offshore wind projects so the power is being built anyway. Um, so you can just buy that power rather than in the States. Sometimes you have to, um, you 
you have to push uh, you have to push for your own projects to 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 get the, the kind of power you want yeah yeah indeed where we're not regulated we've got um you know there, there's just no way the only way that a company like amazon can get power uh, you know as much green energy as it wants is to sign a ppa that's really their only option um so yeah that's that's probably a good explanation lee uh, but, it's, but it's interesting you see this demand for uh um for renewable energy um and and you, you see companies taking a very responsible attitude towards it but i think this this is quite interesting and, and lee was talking about scale to, to reach these targets there needs to be scale we're talking one gigawatt uh, projects um what now i always know what is the role of say something like green hydrogen in this because if you're looking at the the storage um the 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 state of grids um you know we all hear so much about green hydrogen i'd, I'd love to hear your opinion on this we hear about projects in north africa where um, you know you will have the power to gas, and then we will have hydrogen being shipped into Europe. What what is the future of this, and um, and how essential will it be for the future of renewables? So, um, with, with green hydrogen, you, you have to consider um, that it supports not just the power sector. You can also provide uh, fuel for long distance transport, particularly um, trucks, trains, lorries things like that, even airplanes they're talking about, although I, I have my reservations on, on whether we'll ever have pure hydrogen long distance commercial planes. Um, and also uh, in the heavy industry sector to provide the kind of high temperature heat that's needed for, for steel, cement, aluminium, um, sectors like that. So, um, so in the power sector, green hydrogen is, is, is mainly for long term energy storage. So um you know th there's various technologies coming out now uh that will help store energy for long periods of time um days weeks even but hydrogen is the only one that can literally take solar energy that's produced in a summer store it for six months or so and then use and then be converted back into electricity to uh to heat people's homes in winter which um Will be very important in Europe, for instance, because if uh, if people move to electric heating, heat pumps and things, which is rather than using natural gas, then you will need huge amounts of power in in the uh, in winter, and you know more than any more than solar and wind could provide, because in the winter obviously the sun shines a lot less, less hours per day, particularly in northern Europe where you know you don't even see the sun sometimes. And, um, and also the wind blows less in winter. So if you're going to have a renewables-based electricity system, you're going to need some way of, of, of storing that energy that's produced in the summer. Because in the summer, solar is going to produce way more electricity than we need. So it makes perfect sense to, to, to take that solar energy, store it and, until winter. Yeah, I mean, I, I would add, to me, hydrogen only makes sense when we are overproducing renewable energy. Um, it's still expensive. It's an expensive process and it needs a lot of energy. And we do have we do have situations now where we're we're producing way more wind than we need and way more solar than we need. And coupling that with a hydrogen plant makes perfect sense to me. And I, I do agree we'll see more of that. It makes sense, but the, the jury's still out on how economic that will be. 
because the way electrolyzers work is that the more the more hours they're being used uh, per day and per week, month, and year, the cheaper the the hydrogen produced works out. So there is a debate in the industry, and I've I've, I've still not been able to kind of come to any firm conclusions on this. Um, there is a debate whether it's better to have uh, pure play hydrogen projects, green hydrogen projects, you know, an offshore wind farm that, that doesn't provide electricity, it only produces uh, green hydrogen um, versus, um, you know, using excess energy when, you know, when prices are low because there's the uh, supply outstrips demand, then it does make sense to, to use that energy rather than curtail it. But um, it all depends on the economics of it, whether that yeah. will be valuable or not. Um, and then there's other influences like what will the price of grey hydrogen be? Will there be big carbon price on it to, that makes um, that makes uh, green hydrogen relatively cheaper? Yeah, interesting. So, good points. Yeah, good points. Yeah. I, I hadn't heard the uh, electrolyzer needs to run continuously, but that does make sense. I mean, I, I get yeah. that. Calvin, um, do you have anything to add there? Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't disagree with uh, anything that's what's said. You know, hydrogen is, you know, one of one of the hottest topics, the hottest topic around everyone, you know, is talking about it. Um, you know, we're writing about it. Everyone's reading about it. Um, there are a number of, you know, fascinating projects um, underway or due to get underway um, uh, this year, you know, taking you know, electricity from, from offshore wind, you know, turning it into hydrogen, pumping it into people's homes here in the UK for, for heat. You know, if it works, yeah, it, 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 it would be amazing that, that you know, that's that, that's still an if, as, as are so many things. The thing with, um, the thing with um, sorry to interrupt, the thing with green hydrogen is no, that no. It's, 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 if you're producing it via electricity, which is, you know, pretty much the only way to do it, so it's 100% it's green, um, you need to, you lose a lot of your energy in, 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 in converting it to hydrogen and then back to electricity to the point where you only use, I think it's something like 23% of the energy that was used in the first place actually goes back into the system. So to use hydrogen instead of, uh, instead of natural gas for heating is really a bad idea in terms of economics. Um, it's, it'd be, I mean, heat pumps are so efficient. They're like 300% efficient because they're, they're literally turning taking cold air and turning it into warm air. Um, and the amount of electricity you need is, is um, I'm not going to say it's negligible, but it, 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 it's, it's a lot smaller than, say, you know, electric fan heater. So it makes, makes a lot more sense to you, if you're going to be based on renewable energy, to use that energy for heat pumps rather than to convert water you know to, to, to get to turn water molecules into hydrogen and then use a fuel cell to, to turn it back into electricity um economically it makes no sense so there's a, a lot of uh, innovation and um and thought needs to go into this i, I see that uh, irena have uh, have published in december uh, a report green hydrogen cost reduction looking at a report on how that they can stimulate and uh, improve that so obviously it's very important and we hear these sort of stories of shipping liquid hydrogen from Saudi Arabia uh, to uh, around the world, um, which, which sounds um, interesting. I don't know how, how far away that would actually be, but um, it's, uh, it, there seems to be a well, lot there, of- there, there's, Yeah, I mean, 
the cost the cost of green hydrogen like like solar and wind before it depends on economies of scale you know solar 10 years ago solar and wind are both very expensive and now they're pretty much the cheapest options out there and that, that's mainly coming from economies of scale rather than any technology advancements because the technology we're using now is pretty similar to what it was 10 years ago you know the turbines are bigger the solar panels haven't really changed that much um in terms of electrolyzers there are um you know there's a company called itm power which has just opened up the first gigawatt scale uh factory and they're saying that they, they, they can cut um just that that scale in itself is going to cut the price of electrolyzers by uh i think it's 37 and a half percent within the next few years um but the one thing to remember about about green hydrogen is most of the cost is 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 from the electricity that's being used so if your electricity is, is expensive the green hydrogen will be expensive if the electricity is very cheap the green hydrogen will be relatively cheap so um you know if you've got a solar project that, that, that selling power to the grid at uh you know what is it 1.1 cents per kilowatt hour i think the, the new point the, the new lowest prices of solar projects in portugal if you're if your energy costs that amount and you're committed to green hydrogen your green hydrogen will definitely be cheaper than any type of other hydrogen gray hydrogen or whatever so it's not out of the realms of possibility that green hydrogen price will, will fall pretty quickly um one thing they could they could do they could uh, do to save costs is uh find electrolyzer technology that doesn't involve platinum so every electrolyzer at the moment has a small uh, amount of platinum which works as a catalyst to help the the uh, to get the hydrogen out of the water if you find a cheaper product then that's going to cut costs quite considerably just just in one step so i think you'll find that by 2030 green hydrogen will be the cheapest option and you'll need huge amounts of it um not just for energy purposes but just you know people buy hydrogen now um for ammonia to create ammonia to the fertilizer project product and it's also used in oil refining oil refining will probably shrink a little in the next 10 years but there'll still be demand for that there so um you're going to need scale like you've never seen this is why you've got companies talking about 10 gigawatt offshore wind green hydrogen projects because if you're going to compete with gray hydrogen you're going to need to produce a hell of a lot of energy to produce the um to produce the hydrogen um so in, in terms of transport sorry to keep going on no, no, in terms of transporting no. hydrogen that's 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 a very interesting thing um obviously if you uh you create your hydrogen on site you know anyone can put electrolyzer anywhere in the world and create their own hydrogen then there's no transport costs if you um if you're trying to ship hydrogen from australia to europe that's going to be expensive but then australia has the space uh, has, has the wind and the solar uh, and, the, and the land for these things um they can produce massive amounts and you know there's um one of my favorite projects the asian renewable energy hub which is actually in australia they want to put 16 gigawatts of onshore wind 10 gigawatts of solar paired with 14 gigawatts of electrolyzers uh, to create green hydrogen that they will then sell to Japan and uh, South Korea. Now, you know, these kind of scales, you know, you, you just can't do in Europe. 
you know, there's no way you can you can build, you know, a 10 gigawatt solar plant anywhere in Europe, which is why they're talking about building them in North Africa. And then um, and also Ukraine, for some reason, Ukraine pops up in the uh, in the wow. EU's hydrogen strategy. Um, so ship, sorry. so you can sorry, just to finish my point um, to ship to ship it is going to be expensive. But but how you ship it is also, you know, something else because um, you can compress it, you can make it liquid, um, you can convert it to ammonia, which is easier to transport and handle. And there's also something called liquid organic hydrogen carrier, which is a kind of um, an oil-based substance that you add hydrogen to, um, and it makes it easy to transport. And then you, you sort of you have another process that sucks the hydrogen out of the other end. Um, again, I, I've not seen anyone come up with any um, calculations as to which will actually be cheaper. Um, and there's pipelines as well. So you know that's that's a, a that's something that uh, needs a lot of discussion over the next few years. No, great. Thanks, Lee. That's, uh, Jen, as you can see, there's a lot of discussion about green hydrogen in Europe, and uh, I think Lee's been involved in a lot of those uh, discussions. Um, what, what's it? Uh, is there the same hype in uh, in America uh, around the opportunity here? I mean, I, I would say there's the same interest. The uh, you know the, the readers, as, as Kelvin alluded to, you know when I post an article about hydrogen, it goes through the roof. Everyone's really dying to see it take off. I, I agree that when, you know, we can't decarbonize everything until we're using something like hydrogen at a giant scale. I mean, there's no way we're gonna do trucking without some, you know, really big, massive way to store clean energy um, and, and these, those industrial processes as well, as well that, that Lee was alluding to. You know, those, those have got to be, they've got to use massive clean energy. And I don't, you know, wind and solar is not enough. Uh, so yeah, agree. I, I, I'm not seeing a lot of movement in terms of projects, but I am hearing a lot of um, interest studies, lots of money being put towards R&D, uh, that sort of thing is what I'm, what I'm hearing most here in the US. There's actually 13 gigawatt scale hydrogen, green hydrogen projects that have been announced, um, but they're not likely to make an FID on any of them final investment decision because they don't know what the market's going to look like and what the incentives they'll be, what support they'll be. So until there is um, better visibility, for instance, what the EU is planning in terms of support and if there's going to be carbon prices to make it you know, more competitive with grey hydrogen, I don't think you're going to see anyone putting billions into it just yet. But those projects are in the pipeline, they're working on it, there's feasibility studies going on and um, yeah, it it just needs they will need a push from from governments before they they make final investment decisions. Do you do you think that with again it's it's a big question, uh, Jen, but with 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 um, Biden's administration coming in, there will be a change, and these, these things will be stimulated. You see, with the European Green Deal, everything every mechanism is being put in place to try and help. Um, um, is will this be the same in uh, in America? Do you think? That's a good question. Um, I, I want to know in terms of if you're asking me specifically for hydrogen um, on the Biden administration, I don't know that I can. I think in general, that. I think in general, uh, Jen, I think we'll just take it to that whole renewable uh, topic because I'd like to find out about you yeah. know, the environment. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Biden has pledged that, you know, day one, which will be uh, Wednesday, he will rejoin the Paris Climate Agree, which is awesome. Um, so that'd be great. I think the uh, I think the momentum is certainly here and um, and he will continue. And there is there's lots of speculation that he will focus a huge portion of his um, energy on clean energy and those sorts of policies. Um, we did get some tax extenders, though, just under Trump, you know, just a couple of weeks ago um, at the year-end um, omnibus bill that they just passed. Uh, so, you know, I think the momentum will continue. I certainly, I don't think Biden's going to slow it down, but weirdly, Trump didn't really slow it down. You know, it's going. Um, so, right. yeah, you know, I, I mean, I remain bullish. I've, I've been covering renewables for 13 years, and I've seen you know, in the past five years, just things really exploding to these levels that we never thought we'd get to. And here we are, I, you know, I just see that continuing all over the place, you know, certainly in the US, but really globally. And, and, and Kelvin, your view um, with regard to maybe the European Green Deal, I know you have a lot of uh, readers in, in Asia and a lot of, uh, you feature Asia a lot. Is What's your opinion with regard to government support? Uh, but government support generally or government support on hydrogen? Uh, in general, I think this, this you know, hydrogen is very interesting in combination with it, mm. with, 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 with the total renewable picture. So let's take a look at the total renewable picture. Uh, oh, I think uh, government support is, is going to be yeah, uh, crucial. You know, uh, in the in the past year, we've, we've we've there's been a lot of debate about you know will the will the pandemic you know really accelerate a. Um, a, a green uh, energy transition and you know all the uh, economic recovery packages or a lot of them are couched in this terms of a green recovery um, and there's this pressure to you know if you're going to build in um, you know climate action initiatives now's the time to do it um, so which yes on one hand yeah it makes perfect sense and uh, you know a lot of, a lot of governments are moving towards that um, yeah this would be the year that, that those things are delivered or not for us here in the UK we're hosting the COP at the end of this year so you know maybe you could argue that there's no European country whose you know energy policies will be more in the spotlight than ours here I think the, the interesting thing um, two interesting things one is the UK uh, in terms of its its energy uh, policies and deliveries um, actually has a really strong track record which some people you might be unaware of curiously from one government to another they tend to you know soldier on and continue to be quite you know, there's a lot of innovation coming out of the uh, department of energy as it was department of business energy and industrial strategy as it now is and and that continues um from, from this point till we get to you know, COP26 in Glasgow at the end of the year, uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, the difference between what is said, um, because something needs to be said and it needs to sound good, and then what's actually delivered. Um, I would anticipate there'll be a gap somewhere between those two things, um, because there often is. Um, but having said that, you know, the pressure's on, you know, the UK it holds a COP presently, it has to be seen to, to do something rather than just say something that is going to be done. So uh, in that sense, government um, uh, policy and regulation will, will be key this year.
Yeah, no, it'd be very interesting. I think the UK will. It's quite interesting seeing the first. Um, there was first research done and a report published, and it was interesting reading for the first time um, the, the the term the EU twenty seven plus UK um, was was referred to throughout, which was uh, first time I'd I'd come across it in an official report. So I better get used to uh, to reading that. But I see the ambition there, and and I have to say within. Uh, and lit as an event the the uk is very strong on innovation it, it is it is very good at that so uh, I, i'm very curious to see how that uh, that will take forward you know uh, something with with regard to um you know I'm, I'm very curious because i know you you have you know you cover a lot of articles a lot of stories um i'm very curious if you have a sort of pet project a favorite project that's taking place that you know it doesn't matter it doesn't have to be huge but anything where you think you know that's an interesting renewable project, um, uh, Jen. Anything? Uh, a bit of an unusual question, but you know, I'm, I, this sort of thing uh, I, I found very interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, I'm gonna go back right around to offshore wind in the U.S. I mean, my the one I cannot wait to get in the water. It's not done yet, but it's getting closer and closer. Is Vineyard Wind? Uh, it's off of Martha's Vineyard. I mean, if you remember. You probably don't, but there was a project called Cape Wind that was proposed in like 2007, maybe six, five, um, and it was killed. It was killed by Democrats, actually, uh, because of uh, their concerns about seeing offshore wind turbines in their pristine ocean view. I mean, and that was in litigation for decades, I mean, for a full decade before it was finally killed. So now we have Vineyard Wind, which will, which is going to happen. Um, it is not facing that same sort of opposition. But I, but I just feel like that would be that Cape Wind is such a black mark, I think, in the in the offshore wind history of the U.S. And I'd love to have Vineyard Wind be built, show everybody how beautiful offshore wind farms are. They are not eyesores, at least not in my opinion. Um, no. So that's the one I, I, I'm just really rooting for. I, I love the, the the name Vineyard Wind. Fantastic, uh, Kelvin. O over to you. Your favorite, uh, your pet project, a project that. Uh, uh, my my so, so bend the rules a wee bit here because my pet project is actually um, a geographic place, and <laughs> it's uh, Orkney, off the off the north of Scotland. So you know, if anyone listening who doesn't know Orkney's a collection of islands, um, there's actually about 50 of them, but only about 20 are inhabited off the northeast coast of Scotland. Um, to say it has favourable wind conditions is an understatement. Um, and it also has um, amazing tidal conditions. And over about the last certainly 10 years but beyond it's kind of established itself you know this little place this little collection of islands as an absolute hotbed of renewable energy the whole place is powered by renewables by the way it generates more than a hundred percent of its renewable demand so it's got spare renewables kicking around which it's now um, investigating uh, using um, the hydrogen um, it's got the European Marine Energy Research Centre is there. Um, Ten years ago, it was there with a bunch of you know, empty slots and, you know, they were trying to attract people to come. Now it's chock-a-block and, you know, there's the, these things that were once, you know, pie in the sky, funny things that yeah, you're stuck in the water are now in deep water and, you know, they're, they're on some of them on the brink of being 
uh, commercialized. Um, it's it's got wind, it's got um, smart metering, it's got storage, it's got it's even got blockchain. You know, there's there's a blockchain initiative. Electron, uh, the uh, the UK firm have got a blockchain initiative uh, for energy management on the island, and I just think that that this island that, that is steeped in I don't know you know. Norse uh, Neolithic history. It's this amazing, magical, almost dare I say, going a bit hippie on a mythical place, is now, you know, developed into this 21st century innovative cutting edge hub of Mark renewables. It, it's just fab. And I would urge you all to go and have a look. It's great. Wrap up warm, but go. Does it have a distillery? Absolutely. It, it has a distillery and the distillery um, is powered by renewables and is looking into uh, using hydrogen quite naturally. Yeah. There, there you go. Wonderful, wonderful ex example. And, and Lee, your, your favourite pet project? Well, I like, I like the, the big scale ones. Um, I've already mentioned the Asian Renewable Energy Hub. It's uh, 26 gigawatts of onshore renewables with 14 gigawatts of electrolyzers. Um, the expected cost is $36 billion, American dollars. Yeah. Um, and and the, the developers aren't really big names. You've got Macquarie in there, but you've also got the, the lead developers are companies, I'm not going to say they're startups, but they're fairly new companies called Intercontinental Energy, CWP, Energy Asia, and uh, Vestas, the table makers involved as well. But just, just the ambition of a, of a few small companies to build not you know not only the world's biggest onshore wind project the world's biggest solar project and the world's biggest green hydrogen project at the same time the ambition is just immense whether it will ever happen i don't know you know the, the federal government has awarded it major project status which will help to fast track it through permitting and there's this been state level environmental approval so you know they are making progress on it but um, yeah, as I say, when, whether it will, will happen at that scale is, is, you know, you've got to have someone buying all that green hydrogen in advance before you, you put $36 billion into it. Um, but I'd also like to, to just give a nod to this North H2 project in the Netherlands, which is an offshore wind green hydrogen project, at least 10 gigawatts, could be bigger, could be more. Um, and the reason I like this project so much is because the developers are Shell, Equinor, RWE, oh, wow. and the Dutch distributors, gas, uh, gas distributor, Gas Uni, I don't know if I pronounced that right, and then the local port company. Um, so these are big, there's going to be billions backing this, so this could well happen. Plus, they're also going to be the first gigawatt scale green hydrogen project developer to complete their feasibility study. Uh, it's due to be completed in July. And that's going to be huge because if if they go if they come up with um, sorry if they conclude with yes this is going to work this is going to be cheap let's go go forward that's going to be such a big boost that's going to give confidence to green hydrogen people interested yeah. in green hydrogen everywhere and conversely if they come up and say yeah this isn't going to work we're going to need you know we're going to need government investment we're going to need subsidies. Then that too is going to have a huge impact. So I think that's like that's my project to watch for this year, just because of the sort of the influence and scale involved. Now I think that's three very interesting projects. We'll make a note of that and we'll we'll follow them uh, intently. Okay, just just to wrap up and as quickly as possible, um, your 
just go around, start with Jen, your, your sort of big trend that you think for 2021 in the renewable uh, space. Oh, well, I've already warned Kelvin. I don't, I'm not good on predictions. I mean, who is, right? Who could have yeah. pr possibly predicted COVID? Um, <laughs> as, my, as my friend, um, a solar analyst, Paula Mintz, used to always say, the future hasn't happened yet. So I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but in all seriousness, I mean, I, I, I think I've alluded, I do, I do believe that we will continue to see growth of distributed solar, particularly, we'll, you know, we'll keep our eyes on California. We always have our eyes on California because they always seem straight out a little bit ahead of us. Um, but also the East Coast states, New York is, is really investing heavily in renewables. Um, so we'll watch, we'll watch those areas of the U.S. And, um, and we'll hope for those offshore wind farms to really make some good progress in 21. Vine vineyard wind, that's the one. Kelvin, uh, and, and, and uh, your, your trends for 2021. Uh, yeah, I've, I've touched on them already. So I think you know, offshore wind is is going to get bigger yeah. and and further offshore and, and develop and uh, solar in, in the C and I sector. And I, I think the one sure thing is that the oil and gas majors will put more money and become even more active uh, in all aspects of the energy sector because for them it's the one it's it's still the one play in town for them. Yeah, and and uh, Lee, over to you. I know it's I'll, I'll mention. I'll mention. Yeah, I mean, I've already mentioned a few things, but um, I'll, I'll try to say something that I haven't already said. Um, I think the role of governments uh, is going to grow. So we're going to see more national uh, net zero strategies or energy transition strategies. Um, I think I think we're, we're due to see something from Russia even this year. Wow. Um, and uh, you've got all the green recovery packages. So there'll be they'll have to, all these governments have to put meat on the bones and the EU as well. And um, and that also goes in terms of um, implementing some of these strategies in terms of the incentives that we put in place for green hydrogen, for instance. I think the EU are likely to come out with some sort of um, tendering system this year. So they'll, they'll be putting out projects for tender. Um, and another thing the, the governments are going to really have to do is think more carefully about things like permitting project permitting because it's too slow you're not going to hit net zero if it's going to take four years to approve every project um, and also on grids I think they need to wake up on what needs to happen on grids Euroelectric for instance came up with this uh, report last week which said the EU needs to spend between 375 billion euros and 425 billion euros just on distribution grids within the next decade yeah, it's incredible. It was also yeah, um, that's a, a huge amount of money. Yeah, it was a joint report with Edso, and that was quite startling. Yeah. Uh, the amount of money that's required, and that the grid will be the backbone of of this this. Absolutely. Uh, so, so I think generally governments are going to get more serious about these things. You know, they they've done twenty twenty was there. These we we want net zero by twenty fifty. We're going to ban we're going to ban petrol cars. Now this year they're going to have to put meat on the bones and put their money where their mouth is. Yeah. Now that's one of I'm I'm no we're here in January. I'm very curious about how these green um recovery packages will take shape and how they will uh, actually work out. So that's something that I'm going to be uh, paying a lot of attention to. Now thank you very much. Um Jen Runyon, thank you. Kelvin Ross, thank you. Lee Cons, thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. Um, 
that was the Inlet, Inlet podcast. Um, and you know, I look forward to, uh, to speaking to you all again. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Patty. You've been listening to Energy Transitions, a podcast brought to you by Enlit Europe and friends. You can listen again and hear all other episodes on enlit-europe.com slash podcasts. And don't forget to catch up on our other great digital content on our 365 platform, enlit-europe.com.